The following podcast is sponsored by SuperheroStuff.com. Sci-Fi For Me Radio presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is H2O. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Timothy Harvey, and I am not in the bunker for this week's H2O. Uh, I am, however, speaking to Mr. Jason Hunt, who is in the bunker. That would be me. I'm always in the bunker. Never. We do actually let you out. Well, you know, not as often as I'd like. But that's partially my fault, as well as circumstances beyond our control. As are many, many circumstances. Yes. Um, no, we are. Uh, I am actually across town, um, and we are doing this through the miracle of modern technology. Yes. Speaking across the aether. Science. <laughs> Wait, I just went Sorry. blind. I just went blind. She blinded me with science. There's a song in there somewhere. Uh, you know? Hey, did you see, uh, speaking of which, did you see the uh, 1.21 gigawatts prequel trailer? No, although I, I, I have heard about it. I have not had a chance to see it. It's actually pretty slick. I don't know who it was that put it together, but it's on. I, I caught it on, uh, I think it's on Vimeo. Uh, but it the is... It's it's basically using a bunch of other clips from other movies. Uh, I distinctly recalled seeing Iron Man clips in there, uh, along with a lot of different things uh, that feature Christopher Lloyd in various different scenarios. And it's documenting his journey from uh, when he had the idea for the flux capacitor through all of his dealings overseas in the Middle East uh building the bomb out of used pinball parts, as it were. And uh, it's actually, it's a pretty pretty cool trailer. Yeah, I'll check that out. Have you seen the photo that Mark Hamill put out that had uh, uh, the young version of him from Star Wars and Alec Guinness uh, basically in the place of, of uh, uh, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd? No, I hadn't seen that one. Yeah, he said uh, uh, he said he would he wouldn't replace the original, but uh, still, he thought that was fun. So uh, it was yeah, it's a good looking. Uh, it, it, it's it's somewhere in an alternate universe. That's cool. <laughs> but yeah, um, and <clears throat> speaking of alternate universes, um, uh, you sent out to. The gang of meddling kids that is the sci-fi for me staff. Um, the the news about uh, the DC rebirth. Yes, yes, and that's something that we'll probably have to talk about on the Rogues Gallery because that one. Uh, I don't know what I think about it yet. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I think that the biggest piece of that is the renumbering is the restoration, the restoration of the numbering for action comics and detective comics. So where they pick up, I don't know, 50, where instead of 57 or wherever it would be at the time, they're going to pick up from the old pre-New 52 numbers in place as, right. as if they'd never stopped, which... That, to me, that's the big deal. That's the huge 
piece of this. I mean, Jeff Johns is leaving Justice League, but you've got to wonder, and, and this is something we can get to get into then, well, or we talked about it a little bit now because it's it's semi related to what we're talking about. But you have to wonder if somebody sat down with Dan DiDio and Jim Lee and said, look at guys, New 52, eh. and somewhere well, okay. in there, somewhere in, in there, the, the, the word legacy was probably uttered by someone. Well, in, in, in fairness to the, because of course we can't know what, what the internal conversations are until somebody spills it, but... You know they're getting they're they're getting sales numbers they're getting the feedback they're you know they have somebody whose job it is to read the internet oh yeah um, I mean it's you have to so you know these they're they're aware and they probably um, bookmarked the outhousers mm-hmm. you know how many days has it been since DC's done something stupid you know they're keeping an eye on that yeah so it's I mean so you you. Without having any idea what really goes on behind the curtain, um, and just being able to make some guesses based on what we've seen happen, you know, uh, at some point they all had to have that, you know, the come to Jesus conversation. Yeah. Um, where you know, somebody, somebody on the staff, maybe it was Jeff Johns or somebody, sat there and went, "It's time for an intervention," um, and, and and you know, I, I I appreciate the fact that they are. Uh, keeping, you know, looking at the list of titles that are coming out of this, um, it looks like they have paid attention to which series did do well, right, and did get did, did get good feedback. Because not every part of the New Fifty Two was bad. Um, well, and I almost but, wonder, I almost wonder if Johns is leaving uh, the writing of of Justice League to somebody else in order to oversee this whole project of retooling DC to be more in line with the pre-New 52 continuity, because Johns would be the one to do it. Um, Well, yeah, I think think he'd be a good choice for it. Yeah, I mean, not only only is he the Uber fan on the staff, but he's also, you know, being the chief creative officer and whatnot, and also being tied in with all the, the film and TV projects like he is. He is the one who's got his pulse on everything that's that's going on over there. And it makes sense to me that he would step down from writing duties at least the first six months of this endeavor uh, to, to, to kind of shepherd it along the way and make sure that it goes the way it's supposed to go, which ultimately the goal is sell more comics. And you can't do that when half of your old audience or or two-thirds of your of your pre-new 52 audience goes away and right. so you know they've they've obviously uh like you said they've obviously looked at the numbers they've crunched everything internally and they said okay it's time for a plot twist and then and then you know then the other thing there is is they're keeping all of the all of the cover prices at 299 They've right. dialed the price back, so this is an obvious play for people that left. Well, not only is it a play for people that, that have left, and I think that, that you cannot get around the fact that uh, an honest assessment 
um, whatever the goals were, whatever the, the hopes were for the New 52, um, they managed to do damage to the brand by upsetting a segment of the fan base. Um, they may have gained new readers, and that's fantastic. Um, you know, they're, they would hardly be the first people to ever make the argument that a reset button is a great way to bring in new readers who uh, might want to not have to be encumbered by so much continuity. Right. As if that's a problem. I, I, I've always appreciated the, the large continuities myself, but I get the argument. You know, um, I've, I've never run into anybody, and, and I've been out of comics for a while, but when I was collecting comics and talking to people, I don't know that I ever ran into somebody who sat there and went, oh, this is the middle of a story. I can't read this, and they put it back. Well, but of course... You this know, is, they, this is, they figure this is, out, oh, this is part three. Well, and I've done it myself. I'll pull up a, a you know, pull up an issue of Batman or, or, or Superman or whatever, and I'm starting to read the story, and then I realize, oh, wait a minute. This is part two. I need to go find part one, and and I go shopping. I don't put it down. Well, but remember that for, for forever, um, you know, the entertainment world has been under the impression, and you know, again, it, we talked about this before. It's still fairly recent uh, in in terms of the actual timeline of things like television that people have realized that long arcs are a good thing. That mm -hmm. storylines that aren't wrapped up every 42 minutes uh, are a good thing. And, of course, comic books, comic book publishing really has only become part of the big conglomerate multimedia cross-promotion thing uh, relatively recently, too. But you're still bringing that mindset, those mindsets together. And yeah. so you can see how somebody would sit there at the parent company or, you know, Warner Brothers might sit there and say, okay, this is, there's, there's so much here. You know, what about, what about the people who might be confused? Um, and, you know, this is, this is just another example of not trusting your audience as far as I'm concerned. But um, I do, I can kind of get it. I can get, I can get the mindset. Um, I just disagree with it. <laughs> I think it's very, very wrong. Um, but you know, it's I'm it's it's it is news that is promising. You know, you, we won't know till it actually happens. But um, it does seem like it it sounds at least for now uh, like something that would be. Uh, a big positive for some of us older fans who like our older continuities and like our, uh, we don't, I don't, you know, I don't mind change. Yeah. You know, change has to happen. You have to refresh the story from time to time. I mean, it's the, you know, storytelling styles change and, and, and that you have to recognize that. But, you know, I don't, I don't want to lose you know, so many great stories. I just having them go poof. Right. Well, and and the other thing too, and I don't know. Um, I think it was. I don't want to say it was Image Comics. Maybe somebody. It may have been Valiant Comics. Maybe Valiant. 
um, somebody, one of one of the other publishers, um, put on I think Facebook. It's a graphic that says, um, um, see if I can find it here real quick. No big events, just are uh, are uh, something about no. Uh, no in no events uh only good stories basically taking a hit at, at both poking at both DC and Marvel uh for doing all of these big you know sweeping grand you know event things that reset their continuity all the time where these these right. guys are sitting there just saying you know we're just going to we're just going to tell good stories and it doesn't really matter uh, if it's if it's a really big event or not. So well, I don't and, know, that, that, and that's a that's a good way to look at it. But you know, pretty much every comic company at one point or another has indulged. Yeah. Uh, in the in the massive sweeping reset button. Well, and of, Valiant uh, Valiant is essentially a reboot of the Valiant universe anyway. From you know, right. for, for the last you know what four or five years, they've been the rebooted Valiant universe, uh, just basically starting over from scratch. But it kind of right. it kind of makes me wonder too, with this change at DC and the stuff that we're hearing out of Warner Brothers with regard to Batman versus Superman. Uh, and this is something we can talk about on Rogues as well. Drew McWeeny at HitFix uh, saying that executives at Warner Brothers are concerned because Batman versus Superman is not quite the movie they were expecting. And he's hearing from a number of places uh, inside Warner Brothers that while Batman versus Superman is probably likely to be a hit, they're actually looking at completely revising the entire plan. Justice League being pushed back. They'd finish, they'd finish Wonder Woman, and then they'd move up the Batman solo film and rebuild the DC film universe off of Batman. Because the two things that that, uh, that McQueenie was saying, the two things coming out of this next movie that everybody liked is Ben Affleck's Batman and Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. And their concern is that nothing else is going to, you, you know, given the controversy of the, of, of the Man of Steel movie, where you had so many people not happy with it, and the expectation is you're going to get a little bit more of that with this one. The Warner Brothers suits are sitting there saying, hmm, Ben Affleck is a really good Batman. Let's do now with more Batman again. And they're basically shifting. So instead of, instead of Green Lantern being the first movie in the universe, which first it was, then it wasn't, and instead of... Man of Steel being first in the universe, which currently it is, but it may not set 
the tone for everything else, it looks like we're maybe going back to the Batman tone. Which kind of gives you an idea that the suits haven't learned. Because what made Man of Steel not work was the fact that Superman never showed up. And his well, history was... And I know we've talked about it, about, you know, Superman Begins. Okay, fine, big whoop. But right. this, this, if this is true, if what McQueenie is reporting is true, then Zach, that means Zack Snyder is out. Justice League is delayed. We've already heard word that they're moving up the Flash movie. So instead of it coming out in 2018, I think they're talking about 2017 for that one. The Cyborg movie apparently might be a Teen Titans. So there's a lot of shifting on the board. A lot of the players, a lot of the pieces being moved around internally. And McQueenie was saying that Zack Snyder might be out after this one. He may not be doing anymore. And you know the point was made, they don't have a Feige yet. And now we get well, the no, word. They, they, they probably don't. And but there's a couple. <clears throat> there's a couple things actually that, that, that part of that doesn't bother me at all, because um, the whole mapping out the next ten, twenty years of movies with release dates <laughs> and yeah. plans and all that is is dangerous as it is. And I would I I it makes a lot more sense to me. For them to sit there and go, okay, we're going to reshuffle this. We're going to move this around. We're seeing, you know, looking at the projects and then adapting. Because, you know, that's... If you lock yourself in, and, and, and Marvel's doing it, and, and the Star Wars films are doing it, um, and hopefully they won't really be doing it either. Well, Star Wars, um, is already, Star Wars already moved Episode Eight six months. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so you're running into that already, and, and you're right. I, I do think that, that staking out territory that far in advance can sometimes turn around and bite you. Because, well, it did with uh, uh, Batman versus Superman. They ended up having to move off because they didn't want to go head-to-head against Captain America. And they right. played a little chicken on, on that front as well. But here's what I'm wondering. You had... The special, the DC special that was on CW here a few weeks ago with Kevin Smith and Jeff Johns. Right. Who has written episodes of The Flash and is very involved apparently with Supergirl and the CW shows, at least from a consulting standpoint. He's chief creative officer of DC. We've got this new continuity... This new, new, new 32, pre-new free 52-ish continuity coming out. And Jeff Johns is stepping down from Justice League as the writer. His name has been kicked around a lot, uh, especially by fans, saying that he should be DC's Kevin Feige. He should be the one to sit there and go, okay... It's a multiverse. Here's how it all fits together. And here's how you do this. And here's here's the background on this. And here's this story. And here's the story. And people have been saying for a long time, 
let Jeff Johns have that control. Uh, and of course, the structure is different between Warner Brothers and DC as as you look at, you know, compared to, to Marvel, where right. it's just Marvel is making the movies and Disney, you know, Disney distributes. But if you look at something like Fox and their deal with the Marvel movies, you know, the, this is the same kind of thing. Warner Brothers gets the deal with DC. Warner Brothers distributes. DC makes the films. Whether it's you know a co-production or whatever, but you put Jeff Johns in charge of the overall scope of things, and he's a fan. He's written all of he's written most of the the big A list and B list characters. He's written for Superman. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's rotated among all of. Them. I don't think he's written Batman yet, but he's written Aquaman. He's written Green Lantern. He's written the Flash. He's written Superman. You know, he's he's hit most of the core uh, members of the Justice League. That may right. not have been an accident. Now he can come in and he can say, look, I know these characters. I've written all of these characters. You should let me manage all of these characters and just get out of my way. Let me be the fan boss and let me let me do this because Marvel's killing us. And I'm I'm wondering if Jeff Johns is being is is maneuvering whether he's doing it himself or the powers that be have decided since he's cre uh, chief creative officer that he should be the guy because it makes sense for him to be the guy and some of this other stuff is getting taken off of his plate so he can go be the guy that would make sense it would be and it, I, I think it would be a good choice for DC I think that Having somebody who is, because um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have the Snyder hate, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, more interested in seeing Batman v Superman than, than complaining about it before I see it. Um, but if you're gonna build the kind of universe that these people are talking about. Um, and you have somebody over at Marvel who has done that and had somebody who is their hand on the till, who is, you know, directing how this whole thing goes. You know, that's a good idea. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. the, it's the reason you have a president of an organization or a company. There's a the reason you have, you have somebody who, who you know, uh, runs... You know, the, the sees the big picture and, and makes sure that it happens. And when you're storytelling, and you're storytelling with a lot of characters, and you're tying them together, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, well, and Feige, you, know, you know, Feige's even involved now in the production on the Sony side. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's definitely something that you need to have, um, and and you know. Giant corporations or little operations, you know, like ours. You got to have you got to have somebody who keeps an eye on everything because you got all these plates spinning in the air. You've got to keep them going, and it's you know, if you leave everybody to their own devices, then you get Green Lantern. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like I mean. As as much as it tried, and there were some things that it succeeded at doing, but 
it tried too hard to be too many things. And and right. it was one of those things where there were, I think there were too many cooks in the kitchen on that one. But, you know, right. it's, you're, it's, like, it's like being a showrunner of a TV show, you know, you exactly. Have, well, and, and you, know, you can have a whole bunch of different writers and a bunch of different directors, but you got to have somebody who's got the overarching story. Yeah. And, and I've made that analogy before, whereas it concerns the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where you look at the MCU like a TV series and mm-hmm. each movie is an episode of that TV series. Whether it's an anthology series like The Twilight Zone or Outer Limits, or if it's an actual series like Hill Street Blues, or uh, oh, I just dated myself. What's a what's a modern TV show? Um, well, and I say and I say Hill Street Blues because that story was continuous, and you see this in the Marvel stuff where stories connect and one leads to the other, or it happens peripherally to the other, and there's reference to the other, so they're all connected. And if you have, you're right, you have to have the showrunner. You have to have the guy at top in the executive producer position um, who can, you know, get with the writers, get with the directors. Because the director, I mean, you, you, we hear star, stories, uh, Star Trek back in the 60s, where uh, a first-time director for that show would come in and would say, okay, uh, when this happens, you push these buttons and do this. And George Takei would look at him and say, no, 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 these buttons do this. These buttons are what you want. And they, and and the directors get told how to how to shoot it because the actors are there all the time. And your directors just come in and they just do a one off and they go away. The 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 MCU right. is very much like that. And the DC film universe needs to be more cohesive like that. The 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 T V universe has Greg Berlanti. Right. And you need somebody like that on the film side, and I think Jeff Johns is gonna be that. But you know, at the same time though, they put him in place, he's going to have to be willing and able to look at the suits and say, we're not doing it that way. We're going to do it this way and stick to it because the suits sometimes get an idea in their head. They get a bee in their bonnet. Oh, hey, let's do it like this one. This one just made a ton of money. Let's do it again. You mean like all the talk of the push for rated R films coming out of the amazing success of Deadpool? Yeah, Deadpool beat Star Wars in its opening weekend. Let's do it again. Um, our, I saw somewhere over over the weekend on Facebook, R-rated like Deadpool has become the new grimdark like Batman. Yeah. And we yeah. get James, James Gunn, the writer and director of Guardians of the Galaxy, and Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which just started shooting. He writes on Monday. And I'll sanitize a little bit, but he quotes from Deadline, The film has a self-deprecating tone that's riotous. It's never been done before. It's poking fun at Marvel. That label takes itself so seriously. Can you imagine them making fun of themselves in a movie? They'd rather stab themselves. Now... Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is Marvel this guy is talking about. Now, the, now James Gunn is quoting Deadline, which is attributing that 
particular quote to a, a Hollywood executive, unnamed, we don't know who it is, but Gunn sure. sits there and says, um, uh, this quote has to have been said by the dumbest Hollywood exec in the history of dumb Hollywood execs. Now, I sanitized that a little bit. There were a couple of F-bombs in the middle of that. Um, he says, after every movie smashes records, people here in Hollywood love to throw out the definitive reasons why the movie was a hit. I saw it happen with Guardians. It wasn't afraid to be fun, or it was colorful and funny, etc., etc., etc. And next thing I know, I hear of a hundred film projects being set up like Guardians, and I start seeing dozens of trailers exactly like the Guardians trailer with a big pop song and a bunch of quips. Ugh, 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 ugh. I wonder if he's mm -hmm. thinking about a certain particular uh, uh, a group movie that's being uh, promoted with a trailer that's got a, a, a classic pop song and some quips. I, I don't know what he could be thinking about. Well, you know, um, I, <laughs> he certainly made me referencing that certain film. Yeah. But I tell you what, I, I really like that trailer. Oh, well, it's a cool trailer, but it's, but, and, you know... And it didn't, it did, it, but it also didn't make me think that they were ripping off Guardians with it either. No, no. I got, and, a, I got a completely different vibe. And I think he's probably saying, you know, saying this as a general thing, because there were other movies that, that, that were promoted that same way. Uh, and then he oh, goes sure. on a little bit later in this, in this diatribe here. He says, so over the next few months, if you pay attention to the trades, you'll see Hollywood misunderstanding the lesson they should be learning with Deadpool. They'll be green lighting films like Deadpool, but by that they won't mean good and original, but a raunchy superhero film or it breaks the fourth wall. They'll treat you like you're stupid, which is the one thing Deadpool didn't do. And he's right. Uh, George Lucas even said that in the uh, in the interview he did with uh, Charlie Rose, talking about when the first Star Wars movie came out. Suddenly, the floodgates were open, and how many copycat films did we get? You see this not you know this happens in Hollywood a lot, where you get the one big hit, and then suddenly it's okay to do a bunch of other movies that are just like that. I mean, that's how the asylum has made their made their hay over the years. But you know, guns right in that you know people are going to take the wrong lesson out of Deadpool. Deadpool made a gob of money in its opening weekend. It beat Star Wars domestically its opening weekend. All of these different things, your records were set and blown through. Blah, 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 blah. And it's unprecedented for an R-rated superhero movie. And so now they think it's okay to make an R-rated superhero movie. Um, and there's two things wrong with that. I mean, the idea here that you can do... Uh, an R-rated Wolverine, and now suddenly X-Force could be R-rated, and whatever other things. Maybe they're talking about Deadpool meets Fantastic Four, and that'll be R-rated, and oh, what if we did this, and this, and that, and the R-rated. No, 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 that's, no, that's not what this, no. But the other fallacy of that argument is that this is the first R-rated superhero movie. And it oh, may yeah. be, it may be, it was not even the first successful R-rated superhero movie. Because there are others that made money. It's just, you know, within the scope of how superhero movies are now, 
with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all of these other things going on and all this all this continuity and and, and shared universe and whatnot that didn't that didn't exist. Well, you know, it, it comes back it comes back to that thing that and I use this word a lot because people don't use this word enough. Context. Context of the time, context of the medium, context of the character. So, yeah. Uh, George George Takei, on Instagram, I think it was today, put out a picture of uh, a, a still from The Crow. That great shot where Brandon Lee is sort of leaning back in the chair and it's sort of almost a lounging, but there's that sense of Oh, tension. right, right. Yeah, and it says, it says, first successful R-rated superhero movie, huh? That's so cute. <laughs> well, didn't and I, wasn't Blade? What didn't Blade come out before the Crow? Uh, Blade was post Crow, I think. But, was either, it? but either way, either way, um, you know the <sighs> memories. Memories in memories in entertainment are both incredibly long and stupidly short. Yeah. Um, if, if it's not if it's not in the last you know uh, fiscal year, <laughs> uh, it either doesn't matter, or if it was Supergirl uh, and how <laughs> you know, that film wasn't a success. This is why we can't have super female superhero movie, right? Right. Um, twenty years later, twenty five, thirty years later, you know, which is dumb on itself, but it's also you know. Audiences change, storytelling styles change, what people want from their entertainment changes. Um, Deadpool, Deadpool is a funny movie. It's a, not only in fact that it's a funny movie, but it's a, it's funny as in peculiar. Um, the reasons Deadpool was a success have very little to do with the fact that it was an R-rated movie. Ultimately, it would if if the studio had made it come out and it was a PG thirteen film. This the the writing the, the 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 crew cast and crew on that film would have found a way to push that PG thirteen to its bursting limit. Oh yeah, and audience audiences would have been riotously entertained because the script, while I think some critics have rightfully pointed out, it's a very simple story. It's one of those films where the story is the f- is really just the framework we're hanging the jokes on, right? And it works in for this film, and it, because of the character. And in between and the, the jokes, about, you've got the action sets. Yeah, and and the chemistry between the cast. This, that Deadpool is cast extremely well. Um, the chemistry with everybody in that film is really really good. I mean, there's there's nobody on screen at the same time as each other that doesn't play off that person really well. Yeah. Um, but Deadpool is also, you know, for for for, and we've talked about this before too. Remember how when Iron Man came out and everyone was talking about B-list character Iron Man? Oh, right. And, right. And comic book fans who had been, you know, were going what? B-list character? Do you read comic books? Um, 
Deadpool actually is, and I'm, I'm, for, for the folks who are about to, to, to throw rocks at me, Deadpool actually is a B-list character. Would you put him at B? Uh, or I mean, because he really well, was kind of an incidental character when he was started, when he was created. Oh, he wasn't yeah, even, he, well, no, he was, I don't know yeah, that he'd no, he even count as B-list. No, he wouldn't. But in terms of in terms of his, see, okay, here, here, here's where A-list and B-list is a dumb distinction, anyway. Okay, so Deadpool is has very has had very successful comics, um, and he's very very po- he's, he became very very popular as a character once they started writing him as a fourth wall breaking. Um, Super parody, parody in some ways, not always, but in some ways a parody of the comic book superhero genre. And let the writers poke fun. Um, and so you have that popularity that that exists for comic book readers. But he also became an internet meme. Yeah. So even folks who weren't reading the comic books, who never picked up a Deadpool comic, knew who Deadpool was. And then you roll out this amazing, I mean, it really was an excellent ad campaign. Um, well, not only that, but leaking leaking the test footage, whoever did that, to get the thing greenlit yes, sure, in the I'm first sure, place. I'm, I'm sure that was an accident. Oh, yes. I'm 70% <laughs> sure I didn't do it, he says. <laughs> I can either confirm nor deny at this time. Yeah. Whether or not I personally, I leaked it. Yeah, yeah it, it, was, it was a stork of genius whoever did it. Um, so Deadpool is... Well, and somebody's and pointed what? out that given the fact that 20th Century Fox owned that and didn't, didn't go after whoever it was legally, suggests that they were complicit in the leak to start with. So this whole thing could have been part of the marketing strategy from the get-go. Yeah. Well, I think that if it was, I, I think I think you could argue pretty convincingly that um, that could have been, you know, sending up the test balloon, yeah, to see what would happen if we put it out there in the world because it is, you know, it is it is a tough call for a studio to be willing to spend, even with even with what we've heard now that they chopped seven million dollars uh, out of the budget at the last minute. Um, the fact that they, you know, it's, it is a risky thing to do in, in this, in this time when we have the Avengers movies and the success of the Avengers films and, and superheroes coming out on television, uh, and having successful series on television shows. And it is a risk to jump into a hyper violent. Uh, you know, because Deadpool's got Deadpool's got extreme violence, nudity, and enough swearing to stock you up for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and it plays with all of it in a way that ultimately you would actually ha- you almost have to work to get offended by Deadpool um, because the violence gets becomes cartoonish very quickly. Uh, and the swearing becomes, I've said for a long time that most swearing has become punctuation anymore. Um, uh, but the swear, most of the swearing is there to set up a joke. <laughs> and, 
And uh, uh, it's it's it is the kind of film where once you see it, it all works. But if you're a studio, getting you know, you've got that you know, you've got uh, uh, you've got Man of Steel over here, and you've got Avengers over here, and you've got a Batman versus Superman coming out, and you've got. Uh, Iron Man and Captain America, and oh, the last Captain America film got great reviews, and it was serious and dealt with, you know, and it had, you know, it had actors in it that, you know, win awards and, and all these things, and we're coming out with a foul-mouthed psychopath who talks to the audience. <laughs> Are we sure we're doing this? You know, it, it well, sounds like a recipe for disaster. Well, and, al- and also consider that this is the same studio that just had a huge failure with Fantastic Four. Right. And, right. Well, and they've seen what's happened with uh, the Spider-Man franchise over at Sony. It's, it's almost as if they, they had this gut feeling that, and, and, and other people have made this point, only the comic book companies can make the comic book movies. You know, it's one of the reasons why people are saying, give the Fantastic Four back to Marvel, because it's their characters. They understand how to make this movie. Let them make this movie. So you're right. I think I think part of that could be, too, that Fox is looking at this going, we don't understand anything about this character. We don't get it. Well, well, but I think that, that Fox actually has... Um, they have an edge over some of these other folks to some degree. So certainly over Sony, uh, because Fox just, you know, Fox had one of the arguably, because yes, you had the, you had the Tim Burton Batman films, um, but that was the eight, that was the late eighties, early nineties, and then you know, the Schumacher films, you know, went off the rails. But the X Men films were were really the beginning of all of this. This thing we're in now. Uh, that was the X-Men movies. And the first two of those got a lot of praise. And the third one crashed and burned. Well, now some people have lumped Blade in on that, too, because Blade was, was well, before that as it, well. And, and you're right, it was after The Crow. Um, but it was a Marvel superhero movie. And it was one of those sure, where but, people sat there and went, oh, we can do an adaptation of sorts. Yeah. But in terms of your big, uh, they still managed to be, because ultimately the Blade movies existed in their own universe. Yeah. And it was, you know, the... There wasn't, a, was there a, wasn't a big shared continuity like you've got now. Right. So once you started, and so you've got those X-Men movies that started doing spinoffs, right? So you've got the Wolverine movie, Wolverine Origins, um, which, of course, introduced film audiences to Deadpool, <laughs> and Ryan, Ryan Reynolds playing Deadpool, yeah, uh, and completely did not understand the character, uh, and gave us uh, the worst Deadpool we could ask for. Um, but but they also just rebooted their X Men continuity. They they rolled out First Class. Um, then they rolled out Days of Future Past, and now they're doing Apocalypse. They basically sat there and looked at what they had gotten right and what they had gotten wrong, 
And they said, okay, we're going to fix. We're going to bring back the original director. We're going to, you know, we're going to start putting these things in, you know, doing, taking the lessons of what we, we did wrong and, and not do that anymore. So, so to some degree, you know, they'd already had the, the willingness to make changes and to take a, some risk. Yeah. Um, but still, um, you know, you've, you've managed to, you've managed to rebuild a lot of fan credit and fan love with your, with the two X-Men movies, the, the last two X-Men movies. And, um, although there's a lot of still currently a lot of backlash about Oscar Isaacs playing, uh, Apocalypse, uh, mostly because of the voice and our memories of the 1980s cartoon. <laughs> Fascinating how much that actually matters right now. Um, well, and given given the fact that the the '90s cartoon was just the subject of a of a fan film that recently got taken down, it may it may not be as uh, far away uh, from from some people's memories as you might think. Well, and I, you know, I, and like we talked about before, the folks the folks who were watching that at that point are running the studios now. You know, so it's uh, they were watching that as kids. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> um, you know, Deadpool in many ways for a film that that had all these different strikes against it potentially, um, kind of got made by the right people at the right time, um, and consequently with this great ad campaign. Uh, the fact that it did as well as it did, and on the budget that it had, because it, it, it's a it's a mid level budget. This is not your two hundred and twenty four hundred million dollar, you know. Right. Let's throw all the money in the world at it here. Um, you could make three or four Deadpool's for the price of the Avengers, um, and I'm sure they're loving that, you know, in the in the studio accounting department. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Well, that's before that's before the report that says they didn't make any money. Right. Yes. Well, studio accounting is a whole other episode. Um, <laughs> but I think that I think that uh, as much as I love Deadpool, Deadpool is a, and it really is. It, honestly, it is. It is one of my favorite Marvel comics adaptations. It really is that good, um, and it really is that true to the character. Yeah. However. Um, just as we don't want the entire DCU uh, to be, you know, super grim or now with more Batman all the time, um, you know, we you don't you don't want to make every superhero film. You know, Deadpool is not the model for every other superhero film going. Oh forward. no 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 no. Well. You know, and we saw this. We saw this with Dark Knight, um, and even oh, yeah. then, you know, and we we even saw it in the comic books. When you get Watchmen, you get Dark Knight Returns, you get the Killing Joke, and then suddenly all the all the comic books could be for grown-ups, and then suddenly they weren't fun anymore. They had to be dark and grim and deep and moody. Well, and and the, and the studios have tried this before. This is something that you have to again. This is that short memory thing. Mm. that pops up in, in bizarre places. Um, films that, superhero films that came out of Tim Burton's Batman. You had The Shadow, 
uh, you had the Phantom. Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy. Um, who looks back at the shadow and the Phantom and Dick Tracy and says, that was the beginning of the franchise? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's unfortunate because I'm a huge Shadow fan. All right, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I love I love the pulps. I, you know, I've got I probably got thirty of the Shadow novels on my bookshelf, um, and a whole bunch of Doc Savage ones as well. Um, and for those of you kids at home, <laughs> you're you might have to find a really old person <laughs> old novel. Um, and the shadow was a huge disappointment to me because visually they got it right in so many ways, and it just had a bad story. Yeah, uh, and it had a great cast: Penelope Ann Miller, Alec Baldwin, um, uh, Ian McKellen. Right. <laughs> and, and they and it, it just didn't work. Um, I'm actually a fan of the uh, 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 Treat Williams villain from The Phantom. Uh, he was one of my best, it's one of the best scene-stealing, scenery-chewing uh, villains I think comic book movies have ever had. Well, and, but, uh, and I, I love the the uh, the microscope. The deadly microscope. No. Do, do you remember that? That was, I mean, it was one of those, it was one of those, ew, uh, oh, ow, oh. But then you go back and, <laughs> then, then you go back and you sit and think about it and go, that was really cool. Because it was a villain, villain. He goes, bad guy, you know, and it's and, and it, it clearly shows. Even even when he's in the middle of just completely chewing the scenery, and you know he's having fun with it. Oh, good there's Lord. that. The, the film is actually a lot yeah. of fun. Oh yeah, the, it, it is. And, and uh, the Phantom turns what eighty this year? Oh wow, probably yeah. Yeah. I, that, I, I mean, I thought Billy Zane did a fine job in that. Um, oh, I yeah, actually think the Phantom is, is a very underrated, but it wasn't. But, but the thing is, is that it didn't have the cultural cachet yeah. for the larger audience that Batman does. I mean, even though the Phantom, the Phantom has been published, uh, was published in newspapers forever, and still is. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's part of the Sunday Funnies. Uh, for for okay. Definitely. Now you have to find a turn to the old person. <laughs> well, and uh, and the uh, the guy that draws the Sunday edition, I think I, I don't know that how much how much it's published in the United States. I know it's really big. I think in Denmark, but um, the the guy who draws the Sunday edition, Terry Beatty, lives here in the Kansas City area. And we've talked to him a couple of different times at some different events and, you know, shook his hand and said hi right. and, and talked about stuff. But, uh, yeah, he says it's really big in a couple of countries overseas, but not so much here. You're right, that cultural thing. I, I, don't, I don't know how you turn that around without a major blockbuster hit unless you put the Phantom on someplace like Netflix or... You know, give him a give him a a short run TV series somewhere or something because the you know he's still well, you know, you know he's still in the the comic strips. Is he is he in the com he's got a comic book yet? Do you have a comic book? Uh, he's had a comic. He's had a comic book at various points. I don't know that he has one right now. It's... You know, Sci Fi Channel tried to do a, a a modern update. Oh yeah, several years back, and aside from having an uninspiring story 
a terrible costume. Uh, no, I can just stop right there. It's an inspiring <laughs> story in a terrible costume. Um, you know, it, kind of, it, it, it unfortunately missed the point of, of uh, I, you know, I, I don't know, the Phantom almost belongs in the 1940s. Yeah. 1930s, 1940s. Like the shadow does. Um, and I think that I, I, I don't know, because I do trust the audience. I mean, I think as, as a member of the audience, I, I, I want to be trusted. Um, that I can follow along. And I can, so I don't, I don't have the whole period piece aversion that studios sometimes show. And I think especially now, wrongfully, because we have shows like um, uh, Agent Carter, we have television shows like uh, Down, uh, Downton Abbey. Penny Dreadful. I mean, obviously, you know, Penny Dreadful, especially Penny Dreadful. Um, so I think that there's, there's, I think if you were to have like a Netflix or uh, an A and E, um, or you know one of the one of the cable networks, HBO, um, to do a a period, you know, a six episode period piece superhero picture, do a do a, you know, there's your rated R movie. That your shadow should be a rated R movie, um, because it should you should you should kind of be scared. When you're watching that movie, your shadows would be scary, um, you know. But I, I think that you know Netflix, in many ways, the Netflix series is Marvel's R division, right? You know, that's where yeah. they've got their R-rated stuff, um, and it, it, and I think it works for them because they've got the right characters over there to have be the R-rated characters, you know, because we don't we don't need an R-rated Captain America. No, uh, no, and it and and the character doesn't necessarily lend itself well to an R to an R rating, well, or the kind of story it, that would get an R rating. Especially after he's he he calls out uh, oh who was it? He, I, did he call out Tony uh, in the second Avengers movie? Hey, language, language, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think the, the, there's there's a there's a couple of things that that you have to you have to acknowledge um, when it comes to R-rated storytelling, which we can do after the break because we need to talk about our wonderful sponsor, SuperheroStuff.com. Yes, which which yes, is which is an all ages website. You're not it, you, <laughs> for now until they say now with more Deadpool. Take <laughs> over the gritty reboot. Um, yeah. Okay, if we have to have the gritty reboot over at, at SuperheroStuff.com, then it has to be shoulder pads and pouches <laughs> and tiny feet. Yeah. I, May, want that, I want that grim 90s reboot, guys. That, that's, that's what we should do. Sci-Fi for Me 4.0 will be dark and gritty, drawn by Liefeld. Right? Yeah? Uh, yeah, my uh, my anatomy uh, classes really, really, really made my head hurt during the whole uh, uh, tiny feet era. <laughs> but uh, Superhero Stuff, of course, is our sponsor. They, they've been our sponsor for uh, a significant run of this podcast. Uh, and they have a fine selection of, of many superhero-related things. I bet you they probably do have some Deadpool stuff over there. They do. Uh, I kind of figured. Uh, they got all great, they've, got, they've got just about every kind of genre. Uh, uh, thing you could want, uh, and I have some great stuff from them in my very own apartment. So, 
Uh, we like them a lot. So we'll let you listen to them, and uh, and then we're going to come back and uh, I think talk about why uh, why not every superhero film should be rated R from now. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Where can you get the latest cool superhero and sci-fi merchandise? SuperheroStuff.com From t-shirts to keychains to cookie jars and everything in between. Superhero Stuff has added more buyers to the staff, which means more stuff, which means more for you to choose from. And don't forget the Hero Box, the must-have superhero mystery box. A $70 value, just $49. Visit SuperheroStuff.com today and gear up with your favorites. SuperheroStuff.com where heroes shop. Whoa, where'd you get that shirt? Bought it at the convention last week. It's an atomic cotton design. Atomic cotton? Yep, they got t-shirt designs from sci-fi, horror, cult films. All the shirts were really unique and fun. I had to get one. I gotta wait for another convention, though. Nope. AtomicCotton.com. I ordered a shirt. Shipping was super fast. Atomic Cotton, where Erica and Zach combine their passion for art and film to create wearable art. All original, made with a love for the genre. Coming to a convention near you very soon. Or find them on the web at AtomicCotton.com. Atomic Cotton. Shirts and art for fans by fans. This is meteorologist Brian Busby. If you're traveling to a convention, be sure to check the weather. We have the latest forecast on the conventions page every week at SciFiForMe.com. And welcome back. I am Timothy Harvey across town from Mr. Jason Hunt. Hello. Yes. And we are talking Deadpool and how every superhero film now needs to be rated R and full of sex and violence and and fourth wall breaking. And no, this is none of this is true. Um, however, I, uh, we I are am, I am of a mind to bring up James Tucker and the DC animated pictures, but I'm not going to. Well, I, I, I honestly think we're looking at the. I, I think that's a, uh, an almost an apples and oranges because this is. The, I don't, I don't know that it is, because your your switch from Bruce Timm and Paul Dini and that group to James Tucker with Flashpoint and the, the move into all PG-13 and let's push that envelope of PG-13. Like what we had talked about before, if you did a, a PG-13 Deadpool, they would skate the edge. And the DC animated pictures... Some of them more than others. Uh, I'm looking at you, Suicide Squad. They pushed that PG-13 right up to the very edge, um, almost like a bad CGI chase in Indiana Jones edge. <laughs> and it's it's of it's in that same you know it it goes in the same I can't watch it with my kid box. Okay. And, and, and and I get that, but I think that I think you're looking. You are really looking at two separate things here, because what you had with um, that was that was a tie-in to their whole. Everything's going to be New Fifty Two now. Right. And we're going to have this. So the, so the you know that was that was part of the whole big switch. What I think we for for the pros and cons of that and. And um, as as someone as someone who cares about the story, again, you know, I'm a story guy. Um, 
they put out some de- some decent stories, but um, I don't necessarily think that they needed to do. Uh, they 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 shot themselves in the foot on on their animated side of things a lot, unfortunately, because I mean you know. Uh, you can have you can have the shift in things there where you didn't really you, know, you changed the tone so much without really any real warning, um, all the way through, you know, uh, canceling Young Justice because girls are watching it. I mean, you know, there's right there's 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 plenty of stupid to go around. Um, for this, however, you know, we're talking about about we actually have. I mean, the the Marvel model exists, and that's actually the. You know, the success of that Marvel model is is the reason that DC thinks they can make a, a shared universe of their own. They, I, I'm going to guarantee that that part of them of the the reason that Star Wars is making these grand plans for all their pictures is because Marvel Studios has been doing it. Yeah, there's a model that exists, and you can make it happen. Um, Although I would argue yeah. that that Warner Brothers DC looked at Marvel and didn't sit there and say. Oh well, yeah, we can do it too. They sat there and said, "We have to do it." No, that could be too. But yeah, even even so, um, this is this is a reaction to a one film, and then applying that reaction to. Everything apparently, yeah. And I, and I think it's going to honestly. I think it's going to blow. Up. I don't. I don't. I don't think this is actually going to be the thing. You know, we all have to do this now because uh, at some point, the creative team or a writer or a director or a executive who is not, you know, uh, completely nuts is going to sit there and say, "Wait a minute, are we sure?" Because the first one of these out of the gate that doesn't have the exact right use of the R rating is going to tank. Yeah. It might, okay, it might make all the money, but it won't make this kind of money. And it will be, it you know, in, in that in that curious Hollywood uh, um, bean counting way of doing things, it might make you know hundreds of millions of dollars and still be a failure. Um, and I was I've seen that they're talking a, a Wolverine, the next Wolverine film will be rated R. Yep, X Force will be um, rated R. Do you see? Do you see Stephen Lang is is uh, campaigning to play Cable in the Deadpool you know, sequel? I, I like Stephen Lang a lot. I think he's a really good actor, and I don't see him as capable. <laughs> I see Ron. I see um, Ron Perlman doing it. I see. I don't see Ron Perlman. Um, I actually. Uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know right now. Oh, oh, oh! You know who? No, I know. I know who you could get to do it because then you could really play with this. You get Dolph Lundgren to do it. Well, see, the problem is, is that. Because well, that brings in that I, brings in that whole '80s action thing, right? And then they could play with the <laughs> they play with the idea that Canon Films is back, and there's there's yeah, well, there's half your fourth wall right there. Well, you know, but, okay, but but the but the thing about the thing about the thing about uh, 
all of these particular ones. Okay, so here, here's, here's where things get curious. Because certain properties do lend themselves well to an R rating. Okay? Um, Deadpool, Blade, um, depending on the story, Wolverine can lend itself to an R rating. I'm not, I don't, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And, to be perfectly honest, they've had an iffy track record with the Wolverine films prior to this. Yeah. Um, and so, this, you know, and, and you, you go to see a Wolverine film for Hugh Jackman. As long as he's willing to play the part, people are going to watch the film, no matter what the rating is. Um, and Deadpool and X-Force, um, or Deadpool 2 or X-Force being the sequel or whatever, um, it's because you've got Deadpool in it, you've got your fourth wall-breaking potential, but he's the only character who's the fourth wall-breaking person. Everyone else is treating him as a lunatic. Um, a useful lunatic in some cases, and or, you know, uh, someone who being around is likely to get you killed, but he's crazy. So they don't, you know... Um, that sort of thing, I, that, those can be, those can be rated our films. Um, doing a, doing a proper adaptation of Hellblazer should be a rated our film. Because uh, it should be a horror movie. Right. Um, you know, John, John Constantine should, is a, is a character in a horror concept. A good, a good Swamp Thing film uh, should be, a, you know, doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be. But it could be a rated R film without without any because again it should also be a horror film. I mean these are there are things that you should do and and they should be the kind of horror film as opposed to the PG thirteen garbage that studios are rolling out and calling horror films now. Um, said the horror fan thinks <laughs> PG thirteen horror films are a terrible idea. By the way, um, we have no. a uh, we have another sister site called horrorforme.com, which. Uh, could use a few more eyeballs, so if you know any horror fans, uh, you can share that link. I'll put that plug in That's there. That's right. Um, we, we, we would love it if people were to, uh, to look at it and, and, and uh, tell us what they like and what they want to see more of. Oh, I'd be um, ecstatic so, if we could get past 12. Yeah, fuck <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, there, there are ways to do uh, uh, and, you know, R ratings and superheroes. Uh, but also, actually, everything I just described there was not really a superhero movie. Constantly, you know, Hellblazer is in a superhero movie. Swamp Thing is in a superhero movie. Well, that's true. Uh, Blade, Blade really is in a superhero movie. Uh, wasn't a superhero movie. Um, you know the. Well, then you then you have to then you have to get into the distinction and actually educate the audience on the difference between a superhero movie and a comic book movie, because the Crow was based well, on a comic book and he's not a superhero either. No, he's an antihero, and and uh, um, he has superpowers, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I think it's less you have to educate the audiences; you have to educate. The, the executives. Well, that too. But I because think... I think that there's a, you you know, know, there's you, a distinction between a person wearing a costume and a person who's a superhero. I suppose. 
Although you know there's somebody sitting there wondering what an R-rated Batman would be like. Well, you, know, you know they're wondering. You know, you know they're thinking about it. Because Watchmen was rated R. Sure, but the problem with Watchmen is that, and, and I actually liked, I, I thought the adaptation of Watchmen was as good as we could expect. Oh, I did too. And, I thought, and you know, for all the all the 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 shade I throw at Snyder, he visually, he he does an excellent job with the visuals. And I think Watchmen was an outlier in in the case of the story, because you had such a faithful ish uh, adaptation. Um, it, it's almost like Snyder used the comic book as the as the storyboard, and he didn't yeah, really put and, a whole lot he, of his own thing in it, which is good. Well, no, he uh, he he did use the comics as a storyboard, and you kind of have to because there's so many iconic images out of that. And and for a film that changes the ending of the comic, it was a change that worked. It wasn't a well, that was dumb. It was a, oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Um, and so... Well, because the original ending <laughs> wouldn't have worked because that entire storyline wasn't there. Well, it, 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 it wouldn't have worked for a couple of reasons. Not only did the fact that they, they downplayed the storyline of the missing scientists. and It's a, it's a subplot they cut for, for the fact that there are, there's too many stories going on. Right. It's a 12-issue series. Uh, you know, and the fact that it got made into a movie that told the story as well as it did was pretty amazing. Well, not only uh, that, but you had the you had the back the the story in the back the the story within the story that right. I think that ended up getting a motion comic at one point, didn't it? It did. Yes, yeah. if you if you get the the uh, there's you can get the various uh, DVD and Blu-ray editions, which expand the story quite a bit because they. There was so much. There's so much they wanted to tell, but they just simply couldn't. Yeah. Because um, it's such a, it's such a. There's so many layers of that story. But the ending, the ending that the comic had, at the time, worked well, in in a way that it would not necessarily have played as well for the modern movie audience. Um, and it. The solution that they came up with was actually really pretty good. So I was, I was, I was. I mean, it's it's not a perfect movie. It's got one of the. You know, speaking of, you know, the the addition, you know, the, the curious thing about American films and R ratings, of course, is that nudity is your is your big trigger. Right. Not necessarily the level of violence, um, which seems a little backwards to me. Yeah, n- nudity <laughs> and f bombs. Yeah, nudity generally has got a much lower body count than large acts <laughs> of violence. So what? I find, I know, so I find that that's a little silly, but um, whatever. The, uh, the One of the really, really off notes in Watchmen, of course, is the sex scene. Um, because there's... It's, they pick the wrong song, and and it ends with a sight gag. And it's like, oh, God, no, what have you done? Yeah. Um, but, but it also came out of a time when... I think if Watchmen came out maybe two years from now, where you had 
all of this superhero stuff in the consciousness. And it was, you know, we had these, these worlds rooted, uh, you know, where you had your DC movies and you had your Marvel movies, because, of course, there are analogs, even, even though that the Watchmen characters are based on the... On, on, um, Charlton comics. Yeah, the, which are certainly lesser known for most audiences. Um, there are kind; these are kind of analog characters to characters that the, the audience would recognize. Yeah, they they would get that Night Owl is a Batman kind of kind of character. Um, you know, they would get the they would get the comedian is a Captain is a darker Captain America to some degree. You know, I mean, they would they would see this stuff and they would recognize what they were doing there. I think I think it would probably play better if it had, if it came out a couple of years in the future, um, because I think it kind of also came out in sort of a vacuum um, because it was so different from from what superhero films we were getting when it came out. Well, and so I think it, I think some of that too was the the fact that. Watchmen was such a seminal work within the comics community. Uh, the marketing of that film probably could have been better, but they were they were oh, sure. they were expecting everybody to know what it was because Watchmen was such a huge big deal, and yeah. the general audience goes, "Huh? Yeah, yeah. what? Yeah, very true." Uh, Very true, and I think I think that that's, that's important when you are. I mean, come on, this is, these are the people who think that you know again that Iron Man was a B-list character, um, and nobody wants to see a female lead because you know Catwoman and Supergirl. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got to you've got to um, you've got to know how to talk to the audience. Yeah. Uh, and I think that. Um, that's something they're still trying to figure out. I mean, Marvel has gotten there, and DC's DC's figuring it out. Um, I think uh, I think the the willingness to highlight the um, just the craziness of the Suicide Squad idea in the in the trailer was a good choice for them. Um, and for making it be, making it be less a, you know, you know, it's clearly not being played up at the same level of, of epic, you know, battle vibe that we're getting for Batman versus Superman. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's clearly meant to have a lot more humor and just crazy behavior. Well, uh, and, and, and part of that. Part of that marketing is they're setting it up almost like a heist movie. Oh it, yeah, and it's I like a, a good, violent a Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, which I think is actually a really good idea, um, and hopefully it will play out that way, way as well. I think uh, um, the internet being the internet, you have all those lovely little spots where it's like, you know. This actor is going to ruin this movie. I, I love the I love those little clickbait, uh, you know. Oh yeah, six six actors who are going to ruin comic book movies, you know. Uh, and yet I somehow never managed to click on them. I, I clearly I am I am not I am not the 
target audience, and I should be the target audience. Well, you're you're not wearing you're not wearing your clickbait susceptible pants. Oh, that's true. That's true. I do. Uh, uh, I, I can't find them actually. Uh, I don't know where I put them, and uh, I haven't felt compelled to find to, to hunt for them. Um, <laughs> the 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 thing that that. I think that most I, you know, Marvel Marvel knows where their rated R stuff needs to go. It goes on Netflix, um, you know, because because they've they've given us a they've given us a Daredevil that is brutal in its depiction of violence. The violence isn't glamorized. The violence looks painful. Yeah. Um, it, it gives, it's given us a hero that is a complicated character, surrounded by complicated characters, uh, a religious character, uh, whose faith is not treated, uh, lightly. Um, it's given a, a complex of villain, um, you know, and it, and it's told it in a very, in, especially, you know, considering that it was the first of the Netflix series, an extremely dark way compared to the movies. And then Jessica Jones, um, is, you know, that's, that, that was as much psychological study or and, you know, character study that as it was superhero story. I mean, because she only uses her powers um, very, very rarely. But it's about, you know, overcoming trauma and sexual abuse and, yeah. and, and the very adult themes um, and handled extremely well. And so I mean, you know, they. I think Marvel Studios knows that they're going to. They've got a. They've got an outlet for that. You know, bringing in the Punisher. If if, if everything we've seen so far, from just from the photos and and what little pieces of information we've got about the storyline coming up with the new Daredevil season, you know, we're going to get you know a certain amount of of you know gun violence, which is going to be particularly if it stays the same way, particularly brutal. Yeah. Um, and there's and the Punisher, the, the Punisher as an R-rated character makes perfect sense. He's a murderer. <laughs> well, I um, mean, how we've had two, two right, two uh, Punisher movies already that were R-rated, that weren't successful, but right. I mean, that's already out there. That's already a thing. Yeah, and I think that and audiences audiences were ready for those. Oh, and Dolph, Dolph Lundgren was the first one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dolph, yeah. But, then, but then we had Thomas Jane, and then we had, um, oh, for heaven's sake, Kimber, who played the in the, in the, because we have three Punisher movies so far. Oh, that's right. But that's Dolph right. Lundgren. Warzone. Yeah, with Thomas Jane, and then, um, uh, I can't remember his name. Nope. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, the, um, but again, I think those films came out at the wrong time because every I think any any of these films any of these films that would have come out after Iron Man or after I'm sorry after after the Avengers um, would have had a much better chance of succeeding because the consciousness for comic book characters jumped up so much. Right. I mean, Batman, yes, Batman did it, and Spider-Man did it, but 
the the MCU really, you know, they really pushed it into being a cultural thing that we are aware of. You know, that's not, it's not, you know, everybody went to see the Avengers. You know, it's, it's you know, the, there's a, they caught the moment in a way that primed it for, for audiences to be able to watch. Yeah. Well, it helps, it helps to build it where you've got a number of solo films that you can run in a marathon building up to the Avengers. And then you have, you know, suddenly Agent Coulson, who's this breakout character that's so popular. But I think some, some of it, too, there were people that went to see the Avengers to see if Marvel could actually pull it off. Because that was the culmination of this great, big, huge experiment, something that had never been done before to the scale that, it, that, that Marvel was doing it. And I, right. I wonder how many people were going into Avengers saying, okay, you've, you've got me so far, now, now, it's, now it's put up or shut up time. Because if Avengers had failed... Uh, and by failure, just, you know, not if it had underperformed at the box office and not met expectations for numbers, then the rest of it would have fallen apart. I mean, okay. uh, you know, Kent, uh, Kent, how many times has Kendall said we're one bad movie away from the whole thing imploding? Right. Now, oh, yeah. we, we got the one bad movie. I mean, fa uh, uh, Fantastic Four collapsed and it was a terrible film. But it was a terrible film that nobody saw. And so does it count? You know, if a, if a superhero movie fails and nobody saw it, does it count as a superhero movie? You know, it's like the tree falling in the forest. If nobody saw it, it didn't happen. So we can conveniently ignore Fantastic Four, but you, feel, you look at the numbers. Um, and, you know, however many people over on the, uh, on, on the internet were saying, well, yeah, you can make Deadpool meets Fantastic Four. You can't do Fantastic Four as an R-rated movie. If you do well, Fantastic no, you Four. Could. You shouldn't. No, there's, there's no. I don't, I don't see how you no. could. I mean, yeah, okay, the storyteller in me, yeah, you could. But you're right. They shouldn't. What they should do is make it 1963. And put it in the same time frame as, or, or you know, even earlier than X Men First Class, and make it a period. Oh yeah. Piece. Oh no, definitely. I think that I think that there's. <coughs> I, I excuse me. I I, I really think that. Um, Why aren't they, they paying us to consult yet? Well, because they're terrible. Um. You know the 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 thing that they really, really, completely failed to get on the Fantastic Four um, was they completely failed to understand what made the what made the characters work. Yeah, and suits have a tendency um, to do that. Well, not only that, but it's um, the. See, I, I really do think 
that you can do what they tried to do there with making it a you know the ultimate version of the Fantastic Four. Mm, yeah. And I, I I really think it could be done. But uh, what they didn't seem to really get was that you had to tell the story. You couldn't spend the entire time just um, building your origin story the entire movie. I mean, you, you just... You just yeah. Uh, Once they decide <laughs> that, that they're going to use the powers, that's the end of Act 1, not the end of the movie. Yeah. Right. And it is... Um, it, you kept waiting for the story to happen. Yeah. And it never happened. Yeah. And then it when was it, all set up. Yeah. So that's that's not a way to get people to that's just not a way to get people to like your movie. And it just wasn't any good. I mean it just it just wasn't good. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't I don't I don't see that we're going to get I mean you know, and, and I have great faith that someone is going to prove me wrong because they do that on a regular basis. Um, I just don't see that we're going to get this. Uh, everything is going to be R-rated. I just don't. Well, maybe not everything. I think I think there's going to be two camps. There's going to be, like James Gunn says in, in his Facebook post, there's going to be a whole slew of people who decide that, that R-rated superhero movies are are okay now. And it may not necessarily be Warner Brothers or Marvel. It could be anybody. You, know, you just throw everybody into the mix at this point. They'll all decide that they can make a, an R-rated superhero movie. We've heard that the new Spawn script is done, and it's going to go toward an R. But of course, I mean, the, the original Spawn was R, so that's nothing new. Yeah, but, and, that, and that to me is an example of a character that can... Uh, but that lends itself to an R. Work. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that I think that that's you know but, there well, are characters do. Yeah. And their characters don't. Well, and like Gunn points out, there will be the one or two or three nuggets in that pile that are the really good R-rated capes that do well. And then you're going to have a whole mess of them that don't do well because they don't understand what made Deadpool work. And Gunn's point is that what made Deadpool work is a respect for the source material. And that's where you're going to fall down in the studios, especially if, if Warner Brothers ever decides they're going to, they, they would respect their material of the characters they own. Gangbusters. If Warner Brothers actually sat down and read a comic book, <laughs> I, you know, they they would be giving Marvel a run for their money. But I, I don't know that anybody over there has read a comic book. Maybe Kevin Sujihara, because it he y you get the impression that he understands what they have. But most of the most of the suits at Warner Brothers don't understand the property they own, and that's obvious. Whereas you get something, you know, like Marvel, where Marvel is making the movies based on Marvel comic books, they get it, they understand it because it's their stuff, 
and with with Warner Brothers, it's not their stuff. They own it, but it's not theirs. And you can you can clearly see that distinction between the two the two camps. And if you get now into R-rated pictures, you know, Deadpool works because it's Deadpool. And it's the Deadpool comic book in a movie. Deadpool doesn't right. work because it's an R-rated picture. You know, it wasn't, it didn't work because it was the anti-date movie, you know, coming out on Valentine's weekend. It was, you know, faithful to the source material. And you go back to the X-Men movies, the ones that work, the ones that that did better are hewing a little bit more toward the source material. I mean, with some quibbles, yes. Days of Future Past wasn't an exact adaptation. But there's no way you could do an exact adaptation because you didn't have all the pieces. You know, Apocalypse is probably going to be the same way. Um, but, you know, e even Sony gets it. Sony sits there and says, we don't understand this thing. You go make it for us. And if you ever, if, if Warner Brothers ever picked up a comic book, that would, that would be a game changer, I think. Well, I think, I think that hopefully if we see, um, this, return apparently in the comic book side of things and we do see that being the, the uh, shift and, and push to, to have there be this recognition that with the fans of the original or the earlier stories as well as the fans of the new 52 you know appealing to both audiences um, and hopefully new audiences as well and then looking at the the larger DC universe in a way that that recognizes that it doesn't all have to be of a certain tone. Um, the potential is there. It's just it's all going to depend on how they let this stuff play out. If they really think that you know the the best stuff coming out of, of Batman versus Superman is is Lex Luthor and Batman, okay. Um, I I like the fact that they're that the news that this version of Lex Luthor is actually really good. That's a big concern a lot of fans have. Um, land, land, land. <laughs> what? <laughs> Gene Hackman? Kevin well, Spacey? that's true. I mean, those, yes, those okay. lips yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know, but I think that, I think that everyone's been worried about Jesse Eisenberg on this. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he's coming out and this is like the, you know, if, this, if he's one of the breakout characters, uh, that's actually a real positive for the, for the movie itself in a way, because if you've got a good villain, um, that's actually, that, that's, that's half the movie. Unless uh, Jesse Eisenberg being a good thing is, is the, is the one thing they're clinging to in desperation because the rest of it's so bad that he looks good by comparison. There's, there's always yeah, that possibility. Well, yeah, but that's that's that sounds a lot more like this movie is doomed no matter what, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna wait and see until the movie actually comes out. Yeah. Um, before I jump on the you know uh, everything is terrible train. Well, um, until until that time, we can wear our our hopeful pants, 
and uh, <laughs> and keep our fingers crossed and see what uh, see well, what develops. And, well, and recognize the fact that we we actually again are living in this fantastic time when we are getting these stories told, and there is an audience for them, and it's not just the comic book fans; it is the wider general audience. I'll say I'll say I'll say fantastic ish because we're not telling any of those stories. No, no, we're not. Yeah. Um, I do think we do think we need to look into who actually uh, has the screen rights to the shadow. That, uh, oh, that would be fun. Because I would love I would love I, I, I have half the script in my head already. Um, well, I would they, use the original characters. I'd use you know uh, uh, Harry Vincent. And Shrevy and Burbank and Margot Lane and uh, folks at home who have no idea who I'm talking about. <laughs> and we can get Tom. <laughs> Tom can narrate. Oh, see. Yeah, see, we've already got it. That would be. Oh, I know because uh, uh, the, the the hardest part, the hardest part of, and that's not true. One of the hardest parts of of making a shadow film is casting the lead. Yeah, because. That's a, that's, there's got to be the right look. But anyway, um, yeah, the rated R films are coming. They're not. It's not going to be the end of the world. Um, I suppose. I think. Uh, well, you know what? I think that. I think that if DC wants to make rated R films, they have the material. They can do the Hellblazer. They can do the Swamp Thing. They can do a Suicide Squad as a rated R film. Yeah. Um, and and it would fit. You would be okay. It would be, as long as you had a good story, you could play in that world. Marvel's got The Punisher. Marvel's got um, uh, Jessica Jones. Marvel's got... Squadron Supreme. Uh, they could oh, see? Yeah. Oh, and that, would, and that would be the anti-superhero film that would test whether or not it's spectacle or story. Because that would be both spectacle and story. Yeah. Uh, because a good a good Squadron Supreme film needs to be uh, is an analysis of, of good and evil, and you know just because you wear the wear the tights and have the symbol on your chest doesn't make you a good person, right? Um, or or it might make you a monster. Uh, and there's like four different versions of the Squadron of the Supreme that they could actually pick from to tell that story. So yeah, it's. I, but I, I just, it would be, I think it's going to be almost impossible for all the studios to fall onto the rated R train. Um, I would hope. They, they would have to, I think they would have to make a conscious decision to walk off a cliff hand in hand <laughs> for that to work. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like a good, it doesn't seem like a good financial decision. Right. Well, um, and and we are not going to walk off a cliff, hopefully, and we're certainly not walking hand in hand. But we are going to walk out of the studio, uh, at least for yes. tonight, uh, and leave you with this: If you think that R-rated superheroes, if there's room for them, or if there's not, uh, if you can think of a particular story you think would lend itself to an R-rated superhero movie, or not, if you if you think that it's a bad idea. You can certainly share your thoughts and comments with us. You can leave a comment uh, on all our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Tumblr, and YouTube. And you can send us an email, h2o at sci-fi for me.com. And uh, 
stick around for our next hundred episodes. This is this is one oh one. Uh, and we'll see how many more we get in the can before we get canned. So, <laughs> in the meantime, uh, do uh, check out superherostuff.com for your licensed merchandise. They just got a bunch of uh, new Batman versus Superman merchandise in uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, they've hired more buyers uh, on their staff now, so they're getting more stuff in. So you've got uh, you've got more choices to make. And that's going to do it for us uh, this uh, hour and a half. And we will be back next week to talk about something that's burning up the Internet. And uh, in the meantime, uh, you can go see movies and uh, check out the news over at SciFiForMe.com and HorrorForMe.com. And our other podcasts on Sci-Fi For Me Radio, you can find those on iTunes or Stitcher. The update, uh, the, the URLs have finally been updated on Stitcher. And, of course, any other podcast player of your choice, you can find us there as well. Uh, Timothy Harvey. Always a pleasure. And my name is Jason Hunt. Thank you very much for listening. On behalf of all of us here at Sci-Fi For Me, we do appreciate you joining us uh, early and often. Uh, share and rate and uh, tell your friends. And join us again next week for another episode of H2O. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2016 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio.